Hello and welcome. You found the Social Work Podcast. My name is Jonathan Singer, and I'll be your host as we explore all things social work. Today's episode of the Social Work Podcast explores the question of what makes psychodynamic theory a valuable approach for working with vulnerable and oppressed populations. I was excited to talk with my guest, Joan Burzoff, professor of social work at Smith College, because she's an expert on psychodynamic practice, and I, well, I'm not. When I think about working with vulnerable and oppressed populations, you know, for example, um, mothers struggling with addiction or those who are incarcerated or returning vets who are debilitated by anxiety or depression or PTSD symptomology or, or even thoughts of suicide, I'm not thinking, boy, I better use psychodynamic therapy. And it's not that I don't know about these concepts, and it's not that I don't care about these concepts. I do. In fact, listeners of the podcast will know that in episode 54, Carol Tassone did a great job of addressing the relevance of psychoanalytic treatment in contemporary social work practice. But I really wanted some details. Like, how do I use the psychodynamic concepts of symbolic communication or insight enactment and reenactment and transference and countertransference to help my clients. Psychodynamic practice has a reputation for looking back rather than for looking forward, you know, for favoring long-term treatment and personality change over practical solutions to concrete problems. And I thought that Dr. Burzoff would be a good person to answer my questions because she's argued pretty convincingly that psychodynamic practice isn't just about looking inward and looking back. It's about taking a 365-degree perspective on a person's life, looking inside out and outside in. Dr. Burzoff addressed this issue in great detail in her 2012 edited text, Falling Through the Cracks, Psychodynamic Practice with Vulnerable and Oppressed Populations, published by Columbia University Press. Dr. Burzoff and her contributors provided detailed case examples exploration and explanation of psychodynamic practice with people struggling with addiction, involvement with the child welfare system, the stigma of incarceration, serious mental illness, physical disability, and oppression by virtue of being a racial or sexual minority. And if these topics sound like those that you typically find in any social work practice text, I think that's on purpose. What's not typical, however, is how Dr. Burzoff's authors approach these topics. What surprised me the most is that for a clinical practice text, Falling Through the Cracks is a surprisingly intimate read. The authors share not only their clients' stories, but also their own personal struggles with their clients. And of course, in doing so, they're modeling one of these psychodynamic concepts called countertransference reactions. Each chapter has a, has a really nice narrative arc that, that drew me in. And for, for those of us without clinical training in psychodynamic therapy, these chapters really demystify the process of how to use psychodynamic concepts to explore the client's internal world and manage therapeutic relationships with clients. So you might be asking yourself, okay, Jonathan, if you really liked the text and you got a lot out of it and you think it's really helpful explaining things, then why do you need to talk with Dr. Burzoff in person about why psychodynamic practice is valuable for working with oppressed and vulnerable populations? And that's a great question. And the answer is that Dr. Burzoff and I spoke before her text was published. 
In fact, if you listen closely, you can hear that at one point I say, so you have this text coming out, as in it has not yet come out. And I thought she did a great job of addressing these issues. And now I get to share it with you. So in today's interview, I asked Dr. Berzoff what makes psychodynamic theory a valuable or useful approach for working with vulnerable, at-risk, and oppressed populations. Why should therapists be concerned about that which is symbolic in a client's life? Dr. Berzoff talked about the value of curiosity in psychotherapy, the use of insight, applications of psychodynamic theory to school-based programs, why people don't think of basic social work practice as psychodynamic, because she certainly does, and how to conceptualize the role of insight-oriented work with clients whose basic needs are not being met. A couple of notes about today's interview. First, it was recorded using Skype. Dr. Berzoff was in Northampton, Massachusetts. I was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. There are a couple of places where the sound quality gets glitchy. It's not, it's not a deal breaker, but I thought I'd give you fair warning. In fact, there's one place where it sounds like a phone is off the hook. Not off the hook like, woohoo, this phone rocks, but like the phone is literally like beeping like it's off the hook. And I, don't, I have no idea why that is because we weren't using phones. We were just using the computer. Um, second, Dr. Berzoff and I had a much longer conversation than you're hearing here. Um, the rest of our conversation focused on the use of case studies as, as a tool for clinical instruction and as a form for empirical evidence. And we also talked about some of the myths and misunderstandings of psychodynamic practice. And a lot of those questions came from uh, fans of the podcast on the Facebook page. And uh, I, I am going to be publishing those parts of the interview in the future. So you, you have that to look forward to. But now, without further ado, on to episode 72 of the Social Work Podcast, Psychodynamic Practice with Vulnerable and Oppressed Populations, an interview with Joan Burzoff. Joan, thanks so much for being here on the podcast, talking with us today um, about psychodynamic theory and vulnerable, at-risk, and oppressed populations. And my first question for you is, what makes psychodynamic theory a valuable or useful approach to working with vulnerable, at-risk, or oppressed populations? Psychodynamic theory gives us a way of looking into a client's heart, a client's mind, and if we don't have knowledge of psychodynamic theory, we are limited to the surface, to the manifest, and we're kind of blind what may be going on relationally and what may be going on symbolically. And so what is the value of being able to look at uh, what's underneath what's, uh, what they're bringing to us or, or what's symbolic about what's going on in their lives? Okay, well, thank you for asking that question because I will answer it with an example of a student in a post-master's program in which I taught who was working with an African-American mother he was a school social worker. He is African-American himself. And the mother came to him for the second time, um, having seen him five years before, um, and popped into his office quite unexpectedly. She popped in to say that she was very worried about her now fifth grade uh, daughter who had witnessed domestic violence, her husband um, cutting himself after he had physically abused her. And so the student said, 
you need to get out of there. You need to leave right now um, and take your daughter with you. But the client uh, was unable to do so. And although one's job is to provide safety first, um, the client had no idea about what was keeping her in this relationship and why she was tied to a relationship that was so abusive and so hurtful to her. So upon further exploration, it turned out that this was a woman who had had a physically abusive father um, who had um, been violent towards her own mother. Her mother um, had been able to leave the relationship in a way that she had is, was not able to leave her husband. Um, the father was alive and basically told this 37-year-old woman that she was, in fact, worthy of the abuse um, and that he certainly wasn't going to provide shelter or help for her to leave the relationship. So she was internally tied to what we call a bad object. She really thought she was worthy of the abuse. She really didn't feel um, that she could leave, nor did she have some of the developmental capacities to leave and just go start a new life. Um, she had enormous difficulty with being alone. She had a lot of difficulty um, with feeling that others were inside of her and with her. Um, so the injunction from the student to just solve the problem and go didn't take into account a complex internal world in which, again, she felt that she was unworthy of being separate and being individuated. She was unable to um, see herself as anything but bad. And missing that, um, the, the practitioner was frustrated and angry with her and somewhat disgusted by her passivity, and she felt very uh, misunderstood um, and not particularly helped. So I guess what I'm saying about this young man is that he didn't have knowledge of trauma theory. He didn't have knowledge of her internalized uh, object world. He didn't have knowledge of why she was repeating in the present that which she couldn't master in the past. And without that knowledge, he was limited to the surface and to the concrete and to giving her an injunction and then being very frustrated that she couldn't make use of it. So what you're saying is that psychodynamic theory is valuable in part because it, uh, it it gives the provi it gives the social worker permission to be curious about all the things that might be going on in the background that would keep somebody say in a domestic violence situation or prevent them from um, doing something that on the surface seems to be a healthier decision it 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 demands our curiosity about um, sort of the multiple ideologies and complexities that hold people in untenable situations that are often both psychological and also social. The other reason why she couldn't leave 
was she was a woman who was not working outside of the home. She was a woman who uh, had nowhere to go. And she was a woman who didn't have the resources, emotionally or financially, to be able to, to simply up and leave. So, you know, I, I think the other piece about psychodynamic theory is that it, it holds the comp complexity of both her social realities as well as her psychological internal um, compulsions to repeat that which she could not master. Can you talk a little bit more about how psychodynamic theory helps folks to understand the, the social and environmental context? There are many ways to answer that, but one way that I think I'll start has to do with what psychodynamic theory addresses when we think about discrimination, oppression, prejudice. There are many psychodynamic theories that actually help us to understand for example, why we scapegoat, why we uh, other other people, why we use um, defenses such as projection or projective identification to get outside of ourselves, those parts of ourselves that are intolerable, and put them onto and into other people and then try to control them. Okay, so how would you use that insight when working with um, uh, either clients or let's say you're even doing more sort of meso level work like you're you're the director of a social service agency and um, you know you have you, you know you're directing a, a, a specific program um, how would those theories or uh, sorry not those theories how would that theory, that understanding of where uh, isms come from, inform what you do and, and the programs that you create to, to help these uh, vulnerable, um, at-risk, and oppressed populations? Well, uh, let's see. I, I'm thinking a little less psychodynamically and a little more about the educational system in America at this moment. But how do we understand the lack of resources, the social and systemic inequalities? Let's say we're, we're running, directing a program in the schools. Um, I think that a psychodynamic understanding of what kids experience day to day in inner city schools requires many things. It requires understanding how a child's sense of trust may be undermined how a child's physical lack of safety may lead to um, difficulties regulating emotions in the classroom. We might want to look at how a child's being in and out of foster homes might in fact alter that child's attachment capacities and therefore neurobiological capacities to regulate him or herself in the classroom. We need to know about um, whether a child has been provided a holding environment, that is, whether emotional needs, despite grinding poverty, despite racism, um, has been provided. And many holding environments are provided by many parents or parents' surrogates, which enable a child to function. Um, we need to know about how a kid has coped in the past and how that child is coping now in the classroom. 
Uh, we need to know something about a child's sense of wholeness or fragmentation. Um, and we need to know, again, about the neurobiology of that child and the degree to which the child can uh, deal with stimulation um, or has been understimulated. We know that traumatized kids um, may have enormous difficulty regulating emotion, for example. Um, and so maybe overstimulated may not be able to sit still in a classroom, um, may have rage reactions, may be unable to tolerate frustration. Um, and so when we're thinking about how do you work, how do you develop a program in the schools, for example, one needs to know about um, a child's neurobiology. Um, the degree to which he or she has a disorganized attachment style, um, the degree to which he or she can make use of a relationship or may experience a relationship as disorganizing or overwhelming or uh, threatening or um, dangerous. So all of these things are always interacting in a classroom. Um, and so a meso-level supervisor or a program developer needs to be aware of children's neurobiology, children's access to nutrition, children's inner lives, um, what, what is driving them, uh, the ways in which they're coping or not, uh, again, and also the degree to which they have access to an average expectable environment in which needs will be met or won't be met, and also the degree to which the environment, and particularly the school environment, can serve as um, providing what the child's environment may not, um, holding, containing, um, providing resources, mentors, others, teachers um, in the environment who may provide stability and continuity and curiosity, interest, um, that a child may not have in his or her world. Everything that you've said sounds Seems so obvious. Sounds so obvious. You know, you want to make sure that um, the child has a, a safe and supportive environment um, at home and at school, and that if they're having uh, difficulties in their relationships, uh, that you understand why that is and, and, and therefore what you can do to address that, that the expectations of the, the adults around them and the peers um, are consistent with what the child can, can meet, you know, how they, how, how they can um, best interact with each other. And, you know, these sound, these sound so obvious. So I guess the, the question is, if, if, why these, is that? yeah, no, go ahead. No, why is that psychodynamic? Yeah, well, why is that psychodynamic? And if it is psychodynamic, why is it that people don't think of it as psychodynamic? Mary Richmond was talking about this in 1917. She literally talks about how the ghosts of the past um, inhabit the present and how we need to hold that knowledge in working with any client be they an immigrant, be they deserted, be they uh, a widow, whomever. 
we need to have some knowledge about how the ancestors of the past enter into the present. And that's basically social work. Um, but that's also psychodynamically informed social work. And I think that part of, of the trouble, part of the danger, is that when students are exhorted to do solution-focused work, they are not asked to think about the ancestors or the ghosts that inhabit um, a person's experience. And so they're often um, uh, encouraged to just fix a problem without an appreciation for who the person is in the environment with the problem. But psychodynamic theory is, a, is social work. It's not something other than social work. And it's as early as our social work ancestors um, began. The School for Social Work at Smith started as a school in response to trauma. And it was the trauma of World War I. And it started with a belief that one needed to know why two people in, who had experienced the same trauma internalized, metabolized that trauma so differently based on who that person was, how that person came to be constituted psychologically and socially. So this is not new, and it is very much at the heart of social work. I think probably the only psychodynamic theory that's being taught now, as far as I could see in my recent lecture at the University of Texas, is attachment theory, which is necessary but not sufficient to understand how the social work, how, I'm sorry, how the social world comes to be metabolized differently by every individual and how trauma comes to be metabolized differently by every individual. And so while I applaud that, that um, attachment theory is being taught in schools for social work, I think a great deal of the richness and the texture of what social work students have traditionally learned and need to know has been lost in the attempt to solve problems, in the attempt to work harder and harder and faster and faster, and in the drift that we have towards manualized treatments that treat the problem but not the person with the problem in the environment in which that person lives. So you have this, this text coming out. On. I do, <laughs> and 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 we've touched on a um, just a, a couple of topics here today, and I'm wondering, is there anything that you have written about in the text that you think is really a central or essential idea for people to be aware of? Um, well, I think one of the important driving forces um, that made me write this textbook had to do with your first question, which is why is psychodynamic theory relevant to populations at risk? And we often hear a devaluation of or an eschewing of psychodynamic theory as if it's just for the worried well or it's just for people with privilege. Um, and so because my 31-year career has been about teaching students why we can use psychodynamic theories with those who are most vulnerable and most at risk, I wanted to um, create a textbook that would 
provide case studies in which psychodynamic theory was not only necessary but crucial to understanding clients in their social contexts. So there are chapters about prisoners which ask the question, why would a prisoner who is, you know, finally released from prison compelled to um, commit another crime so he can go back to the safety and security of a prison? Or why do, um, uh, uh, let's see, why do um, women who are homeless and who are uh, coming out of incarceration have such a difficult time um, maintaining relationships with their children and there are very complex reasons that are biopsychosocial or why, for example, what are the effects of a country like Bulgaria on children who are institutionalized by the country itself so that mothers feel disempowered and unable to attach to or care for their children. Um, so it's, there are 18 chapters. All of them are vulnerable and at-risk populations on the basis of race or class or language or ethnicity or culture or um, status as a person who is gay or lesbian or, um, again, um, a status that has to do with uh, disability such as deafness or um, blindness or cognitive impairment um, or there are cases that or chapters that are about the chronically mentally ill and the point of the book is that psychodynamic theory is absolutely crucial to whatever services are being provided as we've been talking about and again the book provides rich rich case studies um, to illustrate why psychodynamic theory and practice are so necessary to understanding something as daunting and complex as another human being. How do you conceptualize um, the role of insight-oriented work with clients who have basic needs that are not met? I'm thinking about, you know, you can give a... Uh, a housing voucher to two clients and one may accept it and see it as a sign of help and uh, therefore appreciate um, that help. Someone else may see it as a sign of their, um, as a sign of devaluation, a sign of their worthlessness and may reject the housing voucher. And it's important to understand um, sort of the unconscious motivation around the acceptance or the disavowal of the housing voucher. Or five people can be given medication and one may see it as something to take as a, as a sign of hope and someone else may see it as a danger to take inside oneself and someone else may see it as... Um, a, again, a sign of hopelessness. So understanding sort of the, the most basic underlying reasons why people may or may not accept our services is essential to providing services. I would also argue that psychodynamic practice is not only organized around insight, 
but also around facilitating clients' capacities, their strengths, um, so that it's, it's not simply about insight, but it's about mastery and about, again, how do we help develop and facilitate um, the, the best capacities that our clients have. And you know, this includes looking at psychological issues, but it also includes looking at power issues and issues of disenfranchisement and um, oppression based on race and gender, class and culture. So it sounds like it's uh, going to be a really fascinating text for folks, either those who already have a psychodynamic framework to their uh, practice or those who are who don't, who don't yes. um, which is probably the, 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 the audience you're writing it for. It's, it's a little like Inside Out. I don't know whether you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. But that, that book was really written for people who either did or did not have any psychodynamic background. And it was... Again, it was our first attempt to say that psychodynamic theory was absolutely essential um, for multicultural clients. And this is an extension in terms of, so what does the practice actually look like? And what are people really doing in the field? How does psychodynamic practice look? And how does psychodynamic theory inform socially complex um, practice. So again, Joan, you've, you've made uh, a number of you know, compelling arguments for the importance of psychodynamic theory in working with at-risk populations. Thanks so much for being with us today and talking about psychodynamic theory and, and at-risk populations. I really appreciate you taking the time. And it was a pleasure talking with you. I'm Jonathan Singer, and thanks for being with me today for another episode of the Social Work Podcast. If you missed an episode or have suggestions for future episodes, please visit socialworkpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit our online store at cafepress.com slash swpodcast. To all the social workers out there, keep up the good work. We'll see you next time at the Social Work Podcast. Social Work Podcast.